Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, April 11th, and this is your FT News Briefing. EU leaders offer the UK a Brexit extension until the end of October, with a review in June. Next, Lyft shares hit a new low as rival Uber's stock market listing looms. And the Federal Reserve puts investors on notice, with minutes from the U.S. Central Bank's March meeting saying interest rates could move in either direction. Then the FT's South Asia bureau chief, Amy Kasman, tells us what's at stake in India's general election that kicks off today. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. This is George Parker, the political editor of the Financial Times, coming to you from uh, Brussels. The European Council meeting has just finished, considering the subject of Brexit, which is occupying many minds across the continent at the moment, of course. And the council has concluded by deciding to give Theresa May a reprieve on Brexit, a delay on the Article 50 exit process from April the 12th, which was Britain's scheduled date of departure, until October the 31st. A bit of a gift to the headline writers, of course, because it's Halloween Day. Uh, and that will be appearing in many of the front pages tomorrow morning. A bit of a uh, setback for Emmanuel Macron, the French president, who was pushing for a much shorter extension of Article 50. His point was that Britain needed to have the pressure applied to it to finally come to an agreement in Parliament to get itself out of its Brexit impasse. Nevertheless, the majority of EU member states decided it was more sensible to offer Theresa May a longer extension to give her more time to sort this out. But what it really means, of course, in practice is that we now face another six months, potentially, of uncertainty, business uncertainty, not knowing whether whether Britain will or won't be leaving the EU with a deal uh, later in the year, in the autumn. And a lot of ructions in the ruling Conservative Party about whether Theresa May can really carry on leading the government through the year into the autumn. And there's a Conservative Party conference in October, just before the new deadline, where there'll be a lot of focus on whether a new leader should be put in place. The rivalry between ride-sharing apps Lyft and Uber intensified on Wednesday. Lyft shares closed at $60.12, more than 16% lower than its offer price from last month. That puts the company's market capitalization at $16.4 billion. The share price fall came as Uber prepared to publish its paperwork for an initial public offering, which is expected to come today. The FT reports that Uber aims to raise $10 billion with its listing, giving the company an estimated valuation of $100 billion. The formal price will be set later this month, and the shares are expected to start trading on the New York Stock Exchange on May 10th. Lyft's share price slide has created an air of caution around the long-awaited IPOs of tech's so-called unicorn companies. Lyft attracted significant interest from short sellers in the days after it went public, as these investors made bets that Lyft shares would fall. And investors dug into the details from the minutes of the Federal Reserve's latest policy meeting as U.S. stocks held on to gains on Wednesday. At the March meeting, members of the Fed performed a U-turn, cutting its rate forecast to zero and only signaling one increase in 2020. The minutes revealed that a majority of participants expect that the U.S. economic outlook would warrant leaving rates unchanged for the rest of the year. But several Fed officials noted their views on interest rates could shift in either direction based on incoming data and other developments. This either-direction remark could suggest that rate cuts are now on the table. And here's a closer look at one of today's big stories. 
900 million people are eligible to vote in India's elections, which start today. At its root, the election is about whether Prime Minister Narendra Modi has held up his promises over the last few years, especially when it comes to living up to his nickname, Chokidar. The word Chokidar basically means watchman. That's Amy Kasman, the FT's South Asia bureau chief in New Delhi. She says there are a lot of watchmen in India, about 9 million who guard houses, factories, entire neighborhoods. It's not the most favorable term. Chokidars are kind of thought of as sluggish, but it's a well-known word. And in 2014, Modi's first run at prime minister, he mentioned once or twice he was the watchman who would protect the country. And this is, was partly a response to the perception that the previous government was deeply corrupt and there was no check on, their, on its corruption. This campaign, Modi has really leaned into the nickname, especially when opposition leader Rahul Gandhi was calling Modi out for corruption allegations. So Rahul Gandhi started saying Chokidar Chorhe, which means the Chokidar is a thief. Modi, it reflects his really deep and shrewd political instincts. He started basically saying, this isn't only an insult to me, this is an insult to all Chokidars out there. Prime Minister Modi turned the Chokidar title into a badge of honor. He added Chokidar to his Twitter handle. Mr. Modi's BJP party started selling Chokidar merchandise. They even released a music video. But nickname aside, this election has turned into a conversation about the prime minister's actual ability to protect the country. This entire election campaign really took a very dramatic turn in the month of February. A suicide bomber blew up an Indian paramilitary convoy and basically obliterated a bus carrying at least 40 paramilitary policemen. It was a very dramatic attack, a very high loss of life for the Indian security forces. India had always shown restraint when it came to retaliation, especially during the 2008 Mumbai attacks that killed 174 people. Mr. Modi wanted to change that. He had been very critical of the previous Congress for not attacking Pakistan hard after the Mumbai attacks. In the wake of that, Prime Minister Modi promised revenge. And two weeks later, he authorized a missile strike against alleged terror training camps in Pakistan. What they actually struck is a matter of huge debate, but regardless of what India hit or didn't hit, it sent a very strong message that India has changed and they are not going to stand idly by in case of terror provocations that they believe to be emanating from neighboring Pakistan. Mr. Modi's term hasn't come without criticism, though. When he took office, he promised to accelerate India's economy. And it's done well in some ways. The country's runaway inflation has come under control and the rupee has stabilized. But growth hasn't reached the levels many people were expecting. And that's partly as a result of some of Mr. Modi's own policies. In November 2016, Prime Minister Modi did something that remains a matter of intense debate among economists and Indians today, which is that he suddenly announced the abrupt and overnight ban on the use of more than 80% of the cash in circulation in India. This is a highly cash-dependent economy because, I mean, it's still, the banking system is very underdeveloped and many, many people 
you know, operate completely in cash. They're paid their salaries in cash. They buy things in cash. Entire businesses operate almost entirely in cash. It was a major disruption to the economy. Then, six months later, India introduced a new tax system. It was a tax reform that was much needed and long debated, but the way that it was implemented was very, very sloppy and very, very complicated. On top of all of this, many economists have raised new questions about the credibility of India's GDP figures. Mr. Modi will have to defend himself against these complaints as opposition parties gear up for the election. The Congress party, led by Rahul Gandhi, comes from a long line of Indian prime ministers. But many wonder if his pedigree is the only reason he's got a seat at the table. And then there are regional leaders, some who are teaming up to challenge Modi's BJP party. But we'll have some time before we know if Mr. Modi will go on to lead for another term. While voting kicks off today, there are actually seven different voting days for different parts of the country over the next six weeks. And the votes won't be counted until May 23rd. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today, we'll be watching Washington, D.C., where the World Bank and IMF annual spring meetings are underway. Christine Lagarde, the head of the IMF, is due to speak later this month. Earlier this week, the fund cut its forecast for global growth in 2019 and 2020. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Visit bankofamerica.com/banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.